We started a new series in Romans a couple of weeks ago and we're actually starting from the back of Romans and working our way forward. We're rewinding Romans because as you read chapter 16, uh, you notice a really beautiful picture of what every church ought to be like and every church has been designed by God to be like. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans and he greets a whole stack of people and the way that he speaks of them and about them indicates that there's this wonderful team that are based there in Rome who are mature servants of God who just love building into God's people, the church, and equipping the church to be God's representatives in the world. Um, and so we're kind of asking ourselves the question, how can we as a local church here at Kingsley be like that, where uh, somebody who's thinking of our church also thinks of people who are just combining together and joining in serving God and serving one another, building each other's faith to enable us to shine brightly for Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives. And so we're rewinding back through the letter to see some of the principles that actually helped the Romans to get to this really healthy position. Uh, and then last week we had a bit of a time out as we enjoyed getting some input from Anne-Sophie, who is a contemporary illustration of that very principle. Um, we get to be a part of a body with Anne-Sophie as she is uh, sharing and declaring the love of God in Niger and in all the other places that uh, God takes her on her travels. And we get to encourage her and resource her and she gets to encourage and be uh, an inspiration and an example for us. And again, just an illustration of what God does through his body when all of the pieces are doing the work that he has intended for us to do. So as we think about how Christians are working together to make disciples of all nations, just as Jesus commanded him, uh, us to do, uh, what are the principles that we touched on uh, in chapter 15 of Romans, if you were here two weeks ago, that were, were kind of the foundation by which Paul was then able to go on and identify the many people who are working together so effectively in the kingdom of God? We drew this inspiration from Romans 15 and verses 14 to 33, and it was a whole two weeks ago, so even if you were here, you might have forgotten what those were by now. If you weren't here, here's a quick recap. Paul was really, really clear and he was 110%, if there is such a thing, committed to his own calling. Uh, you see that in how he describes his own ministry in chapters 15 and 16. We rewound quickly to chapter 1 and you saw that Paul had this real understanding. God hadn't called him to do everything, but God had called him to do something. And he was really committed to just doing that thing and giving his whole life to that purpose. So he had this clarity about his own uh, calling and he was really committed to his own part that God had called him to play. But that nestled into the fact that he was also really confident and he loved to celebrate the callings of others. He knew that he wasn't trying to be all things to all men. There was actually a whole body of believers who were able to represent Jesus in different ways, who were able to perform different functions, all of them really important in what God was doing in the world. And Paul was able to focus on his own part because he was really able to say, and don't you just love how Apollos is doing his thing and how Priscilla and Aquila are doing their thing. And he just goes off and lists a whole bunch of other people. He saw himself as a bigger team. He didn't need to hog the glory. He didn't need to kind of think, well, yeah, I know they're doing it, but really they're not doing it quite right. Um, I need to, to do it for them. He was able to play his part and let others play their parts. And he was able to celebrate and have confidence in what others were doing as part of God's people. And both of those things, that sense of being sold out for his own calling, that sense of being confident and trusting in what other people were doing in the service of God to build up his church, all stemmed from this. He knew God was sovereign. He knew God was bigger than any of us. 
and God has given gifts to different people and God has given different life experiences to people and different circumstances and different personalities and different education opportunities and different vocations and different amounts of wealth and all of the different aspects that, that make us who we are and, and give us the ability to do what we have been called to do. God was in charge of that. So Paul knew he could leave it to God take responsibility for what he was responsible for and to look out and be ready to celebrate what God was doing through others. And so we asked the question as we got to the end of that, where do we stand with that? What's going to most help us to be clear and committed to our own calling in life? What's going to help us to, instead of tearing others down, really celebrate and be confident in the callings of others, trusting God in his sovereignty to work through other people? And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, you'll know that as we go backwards, we'll get up to chapter 12, which speaks about the body of Christ. Uh, It speaks about the fact that uh, this is how it is not only just for the Apostle Paul and his relationship with these particular people who he names who were in Rome at the time. This is meant to be how all of us are all of the time. This is our normal. God's designed his church to be like this. It's not for some of us. Every Christian has a God-given role to play in building up local congregations of believers who represent Christ to the world. Pretty much turn to any page of the New Testament and you'll see some expression of what that either looked like as it's telling the story or ought to look like as it teaches the principles. So we'll get to that as we rewind our way back to Romans 12 uh, in uh, next week or the week after. Um, one of the things I like about the way God, through his Holy Spirit, has breathed out the letter to the Romans, he doesn't just tell us what we ought to do, he actually tells us how we can achieve it. Uh, because, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes building up the local church, sometimes pouring out my life in service and looking around and being grateful for the service of others, sometimes it's not number one on my radar. Sometimes life is overwhelming and exhausting. And sometimes I'm a little bit distracted. And so there are times where I look at my own life and say, well, maybe I'm, I'm not quite where I ought to be in that. And maybe you feel a little bit similar. Maybe you look at that and say, yeah, well, I'd like to if only my life wasn't so darn difficult. Or, yeah, you know what, this doesn't seem that appealing to me. I know what churches are like. They're just not that great to be. I'd rather be at the footy club or you know, playing some other sport or watching telly or whatever it might be. You might be disinterested. You might be disillusioned. You might be discouraged. You might be exhausted. How do you live up to that? Well, Romans 12 has the principles that give power to that command, that enable us to actually give ourselves to it completely and joyfully um, in a way which is life-giving both for us and for those that we've been called to serve. But interestingly, straight after talking about that, the Apostle Paul, as God works in him, actually addresses two things that even when you've got God's power working within you so that you are just striving after this, they can still trip you up and can still cause you to not actually get there. So before we get back to the principles which give power to that command, we're going to address a couple of things that can trip us up on the way to fulfilling it. Um, And those are the things that are talked about in chapters 13 through to 15. And we're just going to hit one of those today because there are two different ones. The first one is uh, how we connect to the world around us and how that affects the role that we are playing in God's church. The second one, which is in chapters 14 and 15, is how we're actually connecting to one another in the body. And when that's not going well for us, we're not going to be able to do this. So the quality of our connections to one another matters. And that's what we're going to spend our time together today looking at. So if you'd like to turn in your own Bibles to chapters 14 and 15 of Romans, uh, we'll start reading our way through those in just a few minutes. 
We're going to think about our connection as a church family. How are we doing as a church family with this? With all of us being clear about what our role is meant to be and feeling like we are 100% committed to what God's asked us to do to build up this local congregation. How are we doing at celebrating the roles that other people are playing and feeling confident in one another? Looking around and saying, man, I'm so thankful for that person, for that person, and for that person, and for that person. Recognising what they're bringing to us as a church family and how they're building, building us up and helping us to be like Jesus. Is there a way to kind of assess where we're at in fulfilling that? Is there, a, is there a handy graph I could show you? Well, as it happens, I am going to show you a graph. But before I do, I want to tell you the limitations of, of this graph. You see, stats, as we know, are 99% made up on the spot. Um, no, that, that's not... We're, we're going to look at something that represents some t statistics, but they're always limited. They give us a clue, but they don't tell us a story. They can give us a snapshot, but they don't tell us what's really going on in the journey. Um, so we're going to look at a, a stat, a, a snapshot of what's going on right now, and we're going to look at formal volunteering roles within our church family. Um, how many formal volunteering roles that people who identify uh, with Kingsley as their church actually have. Now, huge limitations to that. There's lots of ways of serving that aren't actually a formal role, just in being who we are and doing stuff for each other. Um, and you could have one role that takes up just as much time and passion and giftedness and energy and everything else as ten other roles. I mean, not all roles are the same kinds of roles. So be aware of the limitations of what we're putting on the screen. But the graph will tell us something. Here it is. Here's volunteering at Kingsley at the moment with those who identify with Kingsley as their church home. I don't know if you can read that, but it starts with no volunteer role on the your left-hand side over to eight to ten roles on the far right. How do you feel about that when you look at that? Is that what you would expect to see? Is that what you thought might be going on? I mean, we all know the 20-80 rule, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'll be completely honest. One of the, the, the organisations I'm involved with, I was doing some stuff with them just the other day, um, I reckon it's more like 5% of people doing 90% of the work. Anyone on a school PNC or any other community group, and you're just going, yeah, preach it. I know what that's like. So we know what it's like that a minority of people tend to do the majority of stuff. That's just normal. But is it what the church is meant to be like? According to the Bible, no, every part's important, every part has a role to play. So how do we kind of even that out a little bit if that's what we are meant to be seeing? Do you know that uh, graph is actually very, very common in two types of churches, organisations as well, but we're talking about churches today. It's really common negatively, we'll start with the bad news first, it's really common in churches that are dying. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Sometimes it's that multi-generational thing where the people who were around to build the church initially knew the hard work and passion and love and dedication that it took and, and they gutsed it out and they were part of building a church and it was exciting. They saw God doing amazing things to change lives and it was fantastic. But the generations that came along afterwards, they weren't there for those early hard yards where you had to do pretty much everything to make this thing work. Um, and they thought the church was actually something you just rock up to and, and you attend for a while and then you go home. That was what their idea of church was. And because they'd never really been helped to understand what it, makes, uh, to, what it takes to make church community happen, they, just, they didn't buy into it and eventually it kind of faded away. 
Sometimes what accelerates that process, though, is when there are little niggles that come up and there are people who are serving, but you know, they, they have a bit of a tiff with somebody or I want to do it this way, they want to do it that way, fine, do it your way, I'll just you know, take a seat, fine, you, you go for it. And eventually over time there are less and less people doing stuff until it becomes unsustainable, the folks doing all the work burn out and the whole thing falls in a heap. That's the negative trajectory of a graph like that. Isn't that exciting? Glad we're in that position, eh? Well, here's the other one. Here's the positive story behind a graph like that. And that is a church which is growing. Because as some people are doing the hard yards and they're, they're seeking under God to build a community of believers and, a, and people are coming into it, it takes a while to find your, your place, where you're going to serve, what, what role you've been called to play. You're getting to know people. You're getting to figure out what goes on. You're, you're, you're asking God, hey, what would you have me do here? And those things don't just happen like that. I mean, they shouldn't take forever, but this is kind of a time lag thing where as I've come in and I've settled in, I've got to know a few people, oh, I've seen a need, and that's something I feel passionate about doing. Uh, last week, I actually said to you, hey, does anyone want to be our compassion coordinator? Um, I gave the same invitation in the, in the afternoon. I didn't even get to leave the stage. Somebody from the side went, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. That was a nun had no role of service, but when that opportunity came up, they were like, oh, I love that ministry. I so want to be the, the Kingsley person to, to be a link between us and compassion. And that, that kind of stuff happens over time, but it doesn't always happen straight away. And so in growing churches, often there's this thing of people are coming in, and now we've got to help people find their, their ways of serving. Um, how, what, what kind of service can you do as somebody who's not yet a member? Okay, what's membership involved? There's a process to all of these things. So which of these stories best fits us? Are we one of these exciting, hey, we've had people join us and now we get to help them find their role of service so that this church can be all that God wants it to be? Or are we, man, our people are sick of serving and they're just trying to give the job to somebody else and we're all just saying, oh, I, I, if I rock up, count that as a blessing. You know, which is our story? Well, the point is, which is your story? That's what really matters, isn't it? Because we're both. We're both. But which are you? Are we on the exiting service end of the spectrum and need to do a bit of hard work on that? Or are we at the entering service end of the spectrum and need to be, do a bit of hard work on that? And the beauty of chapters 14 and 15 in Romans is it speaks to both of us. Uh, whether you're looking for a way to get involved, um, but maybe there's some things that are hindering you, or whether you've actually become uninvolved and maybe there are some things that need to be resolved. Um, Romans 14 and 15 will speak to both of those stories. So let's open God's word together. And we're going to start in Romans 16. Because you remember if you were here two weeks ago, we read this beautiful picture. So many people, Paul had never been to Rome, but so many people he's heard about or he knows personally are there and he knows they're serving God and he sees this wonderful team and he just uh, uh, commends them and greets them in his letter. But after he's greeted all of these wonderful servants of Jesus, he says these words. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and with flattering words. So even as he's just been so positive about where their church is at, Paul highlights the fact that still they're vulnerable. 
they can be torn apart by division. And there are always going to be people like that. There are always going to be people who, with flattering words, will seek to turn one group of people against another group of people and bring the whole church down. And we're supposed to be aware about that. There are going to be people who, instead of helping us live for Jesus and all play our part in the mission of making disciples, will actually turn us against one another and put obstacles in the way of us loving one another in the way that we ought to do. People who, instead of helping flatten out that curve so we're all playing our part, will push some people out of service and say, no, only these people ought to be serving. Only these people ought to fit like, uh, feel like they belong. So we're going to read what Paul has already written in chapters 14 and 15 about what will really help us make sure that that's not our story, that we're not letting that kind of thing happen in our church. As we read, we're going to read a chapter and a half, and I've got to warn you, it's a little bit like walking out into a rich gold field. And there are so many nuggets that we're going to see lying around. And you want to spend time looking at each one of them and saying, wow, isn't that amazing? But we're going to go through a fair bit of territory and we're only going to pick out the main ideas, the ideas that repeat over and over right through this section. So um, as frustrating as it might be to not look at everything that's in the passage, um, I want you to be encouraged that the Holy Spirit also knows what you need to hear specifically as well. And if there is one of those little nuggets that is really important for you today, trust that God will really impress that upon you. Go away and think more about that, reflect more about that, let his word speak to you. But as a group, we'll be focusing on the big picture issues today. So let's dive into reading from Romans chapter 14. As always, love for you to read it in your own device or Bible, uh, physical Bible. Uh, it's also on the screen for you. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does. Because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, we're going to read through the rest of this section all in one hit, but I want to pause just then, now that you've had a taste, to fill you in a little bit on the issues that Paul is talking about, because you might be sitting there going, you know what, deciding on whether to eat meat or not and on what day is more important than another isn't really a big deal for me. Well, it was a huge deal for these guys, and once you see why it was a big deal, it'll help you to identify more easily the, the issues that are a big deal for you in your life. This is all about how Jewish background believers and Gentile background believers live together in unity in a church family and serve God together in a way that complements one another. Now, this is Paul sticking to his calling. You remember, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Paul's not writing to them about every single issue that they could face as a church family. He's not writing to them on every topic they need to know about. He is specifically talking about the relationship between Jews and Gentile background Christians. And as you follow the book of Romans through, you see how he does that really brilliantly, explaining how the gospel applies to both groups of people equally. And uh, as he sticks to his calling as a Jewish man, passionate about Jewish 
Jewish tradition and beliefs in the Old Testament law, um, but somebody who has come to Christ and been called by Jesus to represent him to Gentile people, he is really well qualified to deal with the cultural issues that exist between these two groups of people. Now, for Jewish background believers, they have these centuries of biblical uh, tradition, uh, biblical principles, and just the history of their nation that inform how they live today. And as you think about eating vegetables, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, is there a story that comes to mind? I hope there is. There's a story of a guy named Daniel and his companions. And they were carted off to a place called Babylon, and they were offered the richest of foods, including meats, to eat. Um, By the way, Babylon was also a nickname that Christians used for Rome. So for these Jewish Christians, there would have been a real strong link here. Um, But Daniel and his companions, because they knew that those meats had been brought from the temples where they had been used as part of pagan sacrifices, they didn't want to have anything to do with that kind of food. So they said to the officials, you know what, we're not going to eat any of that meat, just feed us vegetables. And the officials are like, no, 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 we need you guys strong. We need you to be able to think clearly. You're going to be important people in the empire. You need to have the best. And these guys were like, no, no, trust us. Vegetables will be enough. We will thrive. And sure enough, they did. So Jews in the centuries since have seen this wonderful example of people who were so concerned that they not eat anything that had any kind of taint of idolatry, anything that uh, displeased God. They didn't want to be a part of it. They didn't want it going into their bodies. So they took extra steps to be careful that they had nothing to do with anything unclean. And God honoured them for that. And so that's now part of their identity. They're committed to that. Now they find themselves living in Rome. They go to the marketplace. Meat there has quite possibly been involved in what? Pagan sacrifices. And these guys, just like Daniel and his companions, are saying, nope, we want to please God in everything. We don't want to have any risk of being tainted by stuff that is connected with things that displease God. We don't want to touch that stuff. Fair enough? Absolutely. This is fair enough for them. It's fair enough that they would hold those values really strongly. Now, if you've read the the Gospels, uh, you'll also know that worshipping God on the Sabbath and treating it as a holy day was very, very important to Jewish background believers. They understood how much God valued this day. It was an expression of resting in him, trusting in him, putting him above all other pursuits. So again, very committed to treating the Sabbath as a very special day, different from all other days. Now, for Gentile believers who had not had those um, historical practices, didn't have that national history, um, never really grew up learning those principles, they weren't as committed to these sorts of things. And so as a group of believers coming together, they're having to figure out, well, how do we live together as people whose um, strong convictions differ a bit on these important issues? Now, you want, want to know another curveball that got thrown into this mix? How did the church in Rome start? Day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, a whole bunch of people believe. They go back to the places they came from, including the city of Rome. What kind of people were they? Jews, mostly, um, and converts to Judaism. So they go back there and they start churches, and those churches have a very what kind of flavour? Jewish flavour. Sabbath and not eating meat and all that kind of stuff because that's what those people are like. That's what they're committed to. That's how God's made them. That's been their journey. So that's been the the character and flavour of the churches. Jewish culture as well as Christian gospel mixed together. Now, there's a dude by the name of Emperor Claudius and won't go into all the history as fun as history is, but he kicks all the Jews out of Rome. They're all gone. They can't stay in their church. 
And now all of a sudden the Gentile Christians are the ones who are leading the churches, who are setting the tone, whose culture is actually becoming more normal now. And then eventually when Claudius dies, all the Jewish Christians come back in. What's going on? This isn't the church we left. This isn't how we taught you guys to do stuff. And they're struggling. These Gentile Christians aren't living by all the same rules that they used to live by and that these Jewish background Christians live by. Can you feel what the tension points might be here? Just like Anne-Sophie said to us last week, hey, pray for these uh, new believers in Jesus who have come from Muslim backgrounds because their backstory is so different to these Christians over here who have had generations of faith and the traditions that have built up over their generations. And guess what? Not everything those guys do is actually essential to the gospel. And so how they figure that stuff out together really matters and it's not always easy that's exactly what's going on here so these jewish christians have come back in and they're not sure if they can have fellowship with these gentile ones because they're eating meat and we're, oh, that, that's awkward and and they're not all treating the sabbath day in the same way as the jews do and so on and so he's asking the church in rome hey can you figure out how are you going to welcome these guys back and they may have some weaknesses in their faith where they're so concerned about the rules that they're, they're going to feel like they can't join in unity of spirit and purpose with people who don't obey those rules. That's a weakness in faith. But you might need to figure out how you're going to help them through that. And for you guys who are like that, you're going to need to figure out how you don't come in and just stomp all over what God's been doing while you've been gone. Because guess what? God didn't leave when you left. And maybe these guys aren't doing it all wrong. Maybe there's things that you can actually learn to tolerate and learn aren't actually essential for how Christians ought to live. That's the big story of what's going on. Now, let's continue to read from verse 6. And having all that in the back of your mind, listen to how Paul helps them navigate their way through this. Whoever observes the day, being the Sabbath day, observes it for the honour of the Lord. And whoever eats eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord, over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For your brother or sister, for if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then let us pursue what promotes peace. And what builds up one another? Do not tear down God's work because of food. 
Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. And now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as Paul writes this wonderful letter, again, we have to skip over so many brilliant principles, which um, if you're interested in discussing them, I would love to sit around and have a coffee and discuss uh, these verses more with you. But today we're just going to focus on those repeating principles that are right through those verses uh, to focus on what it is that we can take away to deal with whatever situations we might be a part of where these kinds of uh, conflicts and challenges Arise. Did you notice how, as Paul was writing, and particularly in that end section, <clears throat> pardon me, he really affirms the rich heritage of God working through the Jewish people. <clears throat> pardon me. He affirms for the Gentiles that this heritage, which is causing them a few headaches, let's be honest, is just a wonderful blessing of God and to really appreciate all that their Jewish believing friends and brothers and sisters in Christ bring with them as people who are steeped in that heritage. And you notice how, as he refers back to that heritage, he points out for the Jews, hey, remember through all of these prophets, God was always saying, hey, this is going to go out to the Gentiles. They're a part of the plan, and they're not meant to be like us. So as you go out, remember that this is part of God's will too, that we are ready to bring in and embrace all that it is to welcome in these Gentile believers. He's really focusing on how we can be one body, one unified people. So how do we play our own part well? in being the body of Christ and not letting things tear us apart? How do we make sure that we're helping each other to follow Jesus in unity of spirit and purpose and not hurting each other or holding each other back, just as Paul was helping these Jewish and Gentile Christians to do? Well, we're just going to talk about three basic principles. First one is this. Just don't tear others down. 
Simple, isn't it? Don't tear others down. To those who are tempted to criticise and judge each other because of these disputable matters, thinking that they had the maturity to tell other people where they were getting it wrong, Paul says that they were actually showing contempt. How good is that word? They were showing contempt for their brothers or sisters. Who likes being treated with contempt? No, of course you don't. It's an ugly thing, isn't it? It doesn't belong in God's church. Whenever you have contempt for somebody, they don't really know. Oh, are they just doing that because of dot, 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 dot? Do you feel what's happening to your heart when you do that? It's terrible. Get rid of that. Get rid of that contempt. It's not mature. It's prideful. It's a sign of a heart that is lacking in both humility and love. Here's something that I found really hard to deal with over time, but... The Word of God just affirms it again and again, so I'm just having, going to have to deal with that. Just because something is important to me doesn't mean it needs to be important to you. That's terrible, isn't it? Just because something is important to me and I'm passionate about it doesn't mean you have to have an equal view of that thing. When we're talking about these disputable matters. For the Jewish Christians, was um, staying true to the Sabbath and avoiding a meat that might have been tainted? Was that important? Yeah, actually, it was really important for them. And as Paul writes in this section, if you just ignore that and ignore your conscience and just go ahead and do that, you're actually sinning because you don't feel that it's right for you to do. So somehow you've got to maintain this tension of being true to what really matters to you and how God's shaped you, while at the same time, being willing to love and respect a brother or sister in Christ who does not share the same convictions and to not feel like they ought to be doing it differently. It's tough, isn't it? But it's something that he asks them to do. And if we uh, start demanding that other people value as much as I do the things that matter to me, what I'm actually doing is tearing them down, criticising, judging, pulling down, causing division. As chapter 16 warns us, there'll always be people who flatter those who agree with them. Oh, I'm so glad you agree with me about that. Those people who just don't understand the Bible, or they know what they should be doing, but they're just wanting to be like the world so that they don't get given a hard time. You know, we, we start to kind of come across in this group, but we're okay. We're doing really well. It's those people out there who have the problem. Now, what happens, though, as soon as you dare to shine the Word of God into that person's life on anything? You go from being one of these people to one of those. Oh, you're just becoming like them. You're, you're being compromised or you're being worldly or you're being too legalistic and self-righteous. Um, people like that will always find a reason why the problem's out there and never in here. But the Bible's really clear. Hey, don't tear down out there. Don't let these things bring division into the body of Christ. Today, we are more likely to splinter into separate groups than even the Jews and Gentiles were in Rome. There are so many different types of preferences that people have, right? There are so many different things that we really care about. And it's so easy to find people who agree with you and you can just go hang out with those people and together point the finger at the people out there. We do that physically in the types of gatherings that we choose to belong to. We do that virtually in the kinds of you know, forums that we're a part of, in our social networking and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's very easy to be affirmed in what we like and what we, we think about and to criticise others. How can you decide who you can have real fellowship with? How do you reject that way of going about life and decide actually to draw close to others even when there are differences? To not tear it down either by actively criticising or simply from withdrawing from people. Well, that's actually a huge topic, but the short answer is this, and we see that in these chapters. We see it right through the book of Galatians, which we'll talk about in a sec. 
You can live and serve in unity with anyone who is a genuine follower of Jesus. You can live with, you can have genuine, deep community with, and you can serve with, you can be served by anyone who has a genuine relationship with Jesus, who shows signs of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. You'll see this principle come up over and over again in chapters 14 and 15. Because unless we have decided to not let disputable matters tear us apart, we can't do what every Christian is commanded to do, which is to build each other up in love. In contrast to that kind of pointing the finger and tearing others down, we are to welcome each other. We are to glorify God with each other. We are to please each other. We are to build each other up. We are to bear each other's weaknesses. We are to serve each other in love. These are just things that are straight out of those verses in chapter 14 and 15. In this way, the body is free to do its work, each part doing what God has designed it to do. Now, you'll notice in the ways that chapters 14 and 15 talk to us about how we build each other up in love, none of them have anything to do with consuming content. The world has changed a little bit, but uh, one of the things that we see going on now is that there are content creators and there are content consumers. Right now, I'm creating content. There's stuff going out online and you can access it and you can consume it if you like or you can consume it from somewhere else if you like. Um, there are people who give and there are people who receive. That's not what the body dynamic is. That's part of what church does. But we're actually talking about coming together in order to love one another and build into each other. And one of the things which we are so thankful about uh, with technology is for those who are physically separated, you can still feel connected and you can still be served by your church family. Where we have to do a bit more work is to figure out, but how do we actually stay really connected to actually have contact and to actually have a mutual give and take relationship? Because that's what building each other up in love is all about. It can't be one way. It's got to be a two-way relationship where we share life together, we serve together, we don't separate into clusters. We feel like we're one family, one body. Uh, we don't just hang out with those who agree with us. So for those of you who um, think like this, you go on that side of the church, you guys go on that side of the church. For those of you who are younger, that's your corner, you old folks go over there. We don't do that kind of thing. We are one in Christ and we need to find ways of coming together. Uh, we're going to socialise. Are we going to socialise just with the people who have our kind of level of income and, and uh, material possessions? Are we going to socialise with just people who have our kind of situation in life, our age group, our hobbies? No, we're going to think about how do we stay connected? How do we get to know who's part of our family? That's what building one another up in love is all about. But neither of those things are going to be... Um, possible for us where we're refusing to tear each other down and we're actively building each other up in love unless this last thing is also part of the picture and this is the one that Paul starts with but since it's the most important one I've saved it for the end whatever you do do it for the Lord whatever you do do it for the Lord because it's so easy to get caught up in arguments as we justify seeking our own way and Paul was better qualified than anyone to wade into those arguments, but he doesn't. He just brings it back to this. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus. Make sure he's Lord. Whether you eat meat or whether you don't eat meat, make sure you're doing it for Jesus. What do you believe is going to be most pleasing to him? And what, what happens when you do that is when you put Jesus first, you start to share his heart, exactly as we were thinking about earlier. And the love that he has for all of his people becomes part of your heart as well. 
when you do what Jesus said on the, the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul says in this letter to the Romans, stop worrying so much about what other people are doing and say, Lord, start with me, then something goes on in here. You don't even want to tear people down anymore. Somebody comes and flatters you and says, oh, I'm so glad you're not like Jamin. You know, he's, he's so reckless and irresponsible and oh, youth ministry, why do we even have it? Have you seen the carpet? Okay, well, some of that might be relevant, but no. As soon as somebody comes and tries to cause division for whatever purpose, your instinct of your spirit says, no, man, stop that right now. You are talking about a brother in Christ. You are talking about a member of the body. And maybe that ministry takes a different shape than what my ministry does, and maybe that's exactly what God wanted, and he's doing his thing. And that's not to say we're all getting it right all of the time, but we have this radar for anyone who would cause division in our body. And that's just what happens when God transforms your heart. You're not won over by flattery. You've got a heart of love for others. According to Galatians 5, that's actually what Jesus accomplished for us. He freed us from the sorts of things that tear us apart and made it possible for us to love each other in spirit and in truth. So make this your life principle. Whatever you do... Do it for Jesus. Keep close with Jesus. And if you're doing that, you'll do the other two as well. So how can we help you do that? Because that's what churches are for. How can we help you make sure that you're staying close to Jesus? That's a great conversation to be having with members of your church family. You know, as we have our AGM next week, it's one of the things actually we want to talk about. Uh, yeah, there's some business stuff to do, but we actually want to talk about what do you think your role might be in helping others who are part of this church family stay close with Jesus? What's your role in building others up? Um, have a think about it. Have a pray about it. And here's some practical ideas. And how can you access what other people are doing and be blessed by them? Because there are some people already serving in ways that would really be a blessing to your life if you just tapped into it. How can we be the body that God's called us to be? How can we be brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's pray.